Amen. Well, God bless you. I'm just going to tighten this because it feels as though it's cutting out, but maybe it's going to stay in. How are you all doing? Good, good, good. Well, we're finishing up our series, More Precious Than Gold, and, and um, if you've been tracking with us week after week, um, I trust that the Lord has spoken to your heart and you've been able to glean some things and, and some truths that maybe God is walking you through. If you miss some, that's okay. They're always online for your leisure and your, when you're able to watch them. Um, you can go to Facebook or, or our YouTube channel and they're there for you. But we have been looking at the refiner's fire. And I just want to encourage you tonight that whatever position you're in, whether you're in the midst of the fire or you've come through the fire, uh, be mindful and be watchful to not be caught in the enemy's tricks of bringing you to that place of discouragement that draws you, uh, that place, first it starts off in disappointment, and when disappointment hits your life, then discouragement settles in, and if you don't nip it in the bud, despair settles in, and despair leads us to that place of just hopelessness hopelessness and and Jesus when he has us in his refiner's fire or when we're in the heat of our lives when we are in circumstances of our lives where everything just seems seems to be caving in the Lord is there with his watchful eye and he is working out for his good in our lives I was thinking about this tonight because as I'm thinking about the text that we're going to look at, I was thinking of a fire. Um, when a fire takes place in a house or in a building, afterwards what is left, depending on the size of the fire, depending on the response of the, the team that uh, is called to the fire, likely there's ashes, there's rubble, likely what what was formerly there, there's not much of a representation of it anymore. If it was your dwelling place, if it was your home, and you went there after the fire, you would see nothing but, but um, ashes, and all those precious things to you are either burned no more, or damaged that the value of them has been lost. And so sometimes when we think of the, the circumstances of our lives and we think of, of being in the heat and the intensity of problems and discouragements and, and what have you, and it just keeps piling on, sometimes the, the representation of who we are gets lost in the ashes, gets lost in the rubble. We no longer value the life that God has given us. We no longer even look at ourselves as valuable, and this is what the enemy wants to do but not so with the Lord and his refining not so with what the Lord desires to do with us fire has destructive results has um, cataclysmic results but we are going to look at a text tonight with hopes to glean from it that when the Lord allows us to go through the fires of life the trial trials of our lives it is for our good what did Peter say in first Peter 1 6 to 9 in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ though you have not seen him you loved him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation 
of your soul. So Peter drew our attention to the fact that though you are going through various trials, though you have been in the heat of circumstances, though everything in your life seems like it's going wrong, don't be in despair because you are going to come through this more precious than gold. And I've been emphasizing that throughout the weeks. And let's go to first, uh, to John chapter 21. And I'm going to read through the text and then we're going to visit various verses, okay? So John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go, we will go with you. <clears throat> they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer tunic, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not too far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire in place with fish and laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come. And have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When Jesus then went, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so now you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with the refiner's fire? What does that possibly tie in, if anything, what we've been trekking through the last several weeks? Well, if you have been looking at the text, then you're going to follow with me and you're going to see exactly why. So Jesus appears to the shore. 
And when he appears at the shoreline, the disciples, uh, obviously they had been in some form of a discussion because they had gone fishing, but he, he appears to them and he says, there is Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of De Zebedee and two other disciples. They were all together. What we, what, they, what we don't know is what were they doing exactly? They were all together, but what were they doing? Well, I could tell you if I've been gathering with a bunch of my friends that I have been spending the last three years with, then I'm probably talking about what we've been doing or been talking about what's been going on that day. Now, I'm thinking that because this is a post-resurrection appearance that Jesus has with them, they must be talking about Jesus no longer being with them. They must be talking about the times that they had with them. Maybe they're even saying, so now what? What are we supposed to do now that he's gone? What, what kind of work should we do now? What's going to be expected of us now? Maybe they were discouraged. Oh, well. Nobody's going to want to hear us. The main attraction is gone. After all, when Jesus was there, people would come because he would perform miracles. People would get healed and delivered. Who's going to want to follow us? I'm sure in Peter's discouragement, he says, that's it. You know what? You guys sit here and keep talking. I'm going fishing because at least I have a trade that I could go to. At least I have something that I could do now that Jesus is gone. You guys do what you want. I'm going back to my old trade. I'm going to go and catch fish. And what do they say? Verse 3, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. Peter, no doubt, felt the urgency within him. He needed to do something. That he had definitely had a call upon his life. He definitely had been in the training of the master. And in his feeling of urgency to do something, he went back to what was a former representation of himself. But when Jesus starts a work within us, he doesn't start a work within us for us to remain what we were, for us to go back to what we were. He starts a work within us to transform us. He never not finishes a job. He never leaves a job incomplete is what I really wanted to say. When God starts a transformative work in our life the former representation of ourselves is changed we're no longer that person and sh nor should we be held to that mold think of the people that come into the church and experience the grace and mercy of god and they come into salvation do they want to be held to the person they were pre-salvation? No. They want to be experiencing the grace and mercy of God. Verse 4 says this, As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Does it sound familiar? They went out. They were out all night fishing. They did not catch a speck of a fish. And Jesus stands at the shoreline, and they see a man standing at the shoreline, and I don't understand it, but that may be because of the distance that they were. They didn't fully recognize him, or that their eyes were kept from seeing him. But it says this, if we were to consider this, I will lean towards the, their eyes were kept. Because remember the two men on the road to Emmaus. Here it was. Jesus had just died. And they're on the road to Emmaus and they're discussing the current events. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up beside them in Luke chapter 24. And he says to them, so what? 
manner of things are you discussing? Verses 15 to 17. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? That was a post-resurrection appearance that Jesus had with those two men on the road to Emmaus. This appearance that he has with his disciples as he appears on the shoreline is no different than the appearance of, that he had with those on the road to Emmaus. Likewise, the men were out fishing all night and they didn't catch a speck and nor did they know that it was Jesus who stood stood at the shore. And what did he say to them in verse 5? Children, (laughs) children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. Okay. Children. He calls them children. We, there, there's a, a, a Greek word here and that is used Paedo, I, I believe, is how you would pronounce it. And um, what's it, what it is insinuating is at that time, anyone up till they were 20 years of age would have been regarded in that line of children. The other inference is, is um, that of somebody that was learning. And so perhaps the implication that Jesus is saying when he shouts out to them is maybe a twofold. These are the young men that traveled with him and learned of him. And perhaps They were not all fully yet 20 years of age. But whatever be the exact reason, there will come a day that we will know when we appear before the Lord and we will know why he said children. But maybe let's just flow with the thought that these were young men that were under his training and perhaps not yet reached 20 years of age. But he says to them in verse 6, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were unable to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Do we see something happening here? First of all, they don't recognize Jesus. Second of all, he says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Does that sound remotely familiar at all to any of you? Was it not in Luke chapter 5 that he also said to his disciples, cast the net on the other side of the boat? And Peter says to him, but Lord, we've been fishing all night. In other words, um, Peter was saying, like, we're the fishermen. You're Jesus, but we're the fishermen. We're the professionals, and um, we're just here to tell you we've been fishing all night, and P.S., we didn't catch anything. Not even one minnow. And Jesus says to him, cast the net, verse 6 of John 21, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, if they did not recognize Jesus when he appeared at the shoreline, at the sound of his voice, children, have you caught anything? If they, after three years, did not recognize the sound of his voice and will give them grace, come on, a hundred yards is about 300 feet. That is a good distance away. But if they didn't recognize him at the shoreline, surely by now, surely by now, and as they're hauling in the fish, John turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter, in his excitement, do you see a change here? This is Peter who not too many moons ago, not too many days ago, denied the Christ, he puts on his tunic because those were the times where they they would take off their their outer tunic because they're in with the water. And he puts it on and he runs towards the Lord. 
Verse 7 says this. John, you know the one whom the Lord loved? John wrote this part, right? (laughs) John wrote it. And he says... Peter, it's the Lord. So now we, we pick up the pace. Peter runs to the shoreline. And when he gets to the shoreline, he sees a charcoal fire in place. Now I need you to engage with me for a moment here in this text so you can get the full scope of how this brings the refiner's fire to a close. How this brings the, the more precious than gold to its peak of understanding. When Peter gets to the shoreline, he sees a charcoal fire. Okay, we have to fast forward the story. They caught 153 fish. The nets were not damaged as in the last time when they caught so many fish that the nets couldn't contain it. These, these nets were not damaged. They bring some fish and they come and they have breakfast and nobody asks who Jesus is now because now that they are with him, they see him and they know him. Now that they're in what? His presence. They know that it is the Lord. But there's some unfinished business here. The Lord has come to that shoreline. He has come there that morning with a purpose and an intention of unfinished work that needs to be taken care of. Because if it's not taken care of, the souls of many men and women would not be reached. And he says this, let me, well, let me actually, let me pose this question to you. How do you think Peter felt when he got to the shore and he saw that charcoal fire? Scared. You know, today you hear PTSD all over the place, post-traumatic stress disorder. Everybody and anybody and all over the place, somebody has post-traumatic stress disorder. Has anybody ever experienced it? Oh, I have. I'll put my hand up. Right? Was in a car accident, and they had to use those things called the jars, uh, jaws of life, and then they had to cut into the frame of my van so that we could get out. And so, you hear that sound. I was watching a movie one day at, the, at, at my, um, my home church, and all of a sudden there was a scene. I didn't even realize I had this issue. All, well, I had. Um, all of a sudden there was a scene, and in the scene there was a, a car wreck, and uh, the firemen report to the scene, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching the movie and, and enjoying it, and when I heard... My whole body went dead cold. All of a sudden, I was right back in that place of when I was in an accident, and that's how they had to get us out of the vehicle. Post-traumatic stress. It, it has triggers, and the triggers could be anything from sounds to smells to sights. It could be thoughts, anything that is going to remind you of an event that had a traumatic result upon your life. Anything that is going to remind you of a bad situation. And what happens in the post-traumatic stress, when you have an episode, when you are triggered by something and you have within you a post-traumatic stress defense or a disorder, what happens is the, the, the body could go into this halt and freeze. The brain is not able to respond. 
we perceive a danger. Your body gets ready to either flight, fl fight, flight, or flee from the situation. Your heart will begin to, to race quicker. Why? Because you are being affected by something you are seeing, something you are smelling, something that is familiar to a negative experience in your life. Now, I want to ask you again, how do you think Peter felt when he saw the charcoal fire and Jesus on the other side. Come, have something to eat. Come, have something to eat. Jesus said, address Peter. Peter, Simon, son of John. Do you love me? Actually, he never said Peter. Do you notice? He never said Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus in this moment is addressing him as the individual he was before Jesus called him to be Peter. He is addressing him as who he was, Simon, before the refining of Jesus' work within him. Simon, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? These are the other disciples who claim that they love the Lord. Simon, do you love me more than these? Why? Because there was a time when Simon boasted and his name was Peter at that time, that he boasted of his love being more great than all of the, of the disciples. Simon, do you love me? He said, feed. Yes, my Lord, you know now that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Again, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. Perhaps Peter is having some flashbacks as Jesus is asking him, Simon, do you love me? I love you. Go, go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. It says this, Simon Peter asked, and, uh, when Jesus, okay, Jesus had called him Simon because he was, Letting us know, Simon, do you love me? Formerly you boasted of yourself as being the disciple who loved me the most. I'm bringing you back to that time because there was a time that you said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and I said to you, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, do you remember telling the Lord, truly, Lord, truly, Lord, I will not, I, I am the one who loves you more than any of these. Do you remember, Peter, when you told me, Lord, I won't betray you? Do you remember when, when I said to you, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will Betray me, John 13, 38. I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? There they had that kindled fire in the, in the middle of the courtyard, Luke chapter 22. And what happened? Jesus is asking Simon, Simon, do you love me? What do you think his mind is remembering? In the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat among them. And then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I don't know him. Go back to John 21. Simon, do you love me? In that moment, 
I believe that before that fire, Peter has a flashback where he says, woman, I don't know him. Simon, do you love me? Woman, I don't know him. Simon, do you love me? Woman, Lord, Lord, you know that I love you. You, you know that I love you, Lord. Simon is hoping in this moment, Lord, you, you know that I love you. God is asking him in that philo love or in that agape love, but Peter is answering in that philo love, in that brotherly love. God is asking him, do you love me in that sacrificial type of love? And Peter's asking you, Lord, or answering, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. But in the back of his mind, he's remembering betrayal number one. Jesus asks Peter again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter again is reminded of when he denied Christ the second time. Peter, in, in Matthew 26, 33, he said to the Lord, Lord, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I'll never fall away, Lord. I'm going to follow you till the end. I'm going to be beside you, Lord. I'm going to be the disciple that sticks right there with you. Peter boasted of his love. I will never, never say never. Never say never. Jesus wanted to know, Peter, do you still hold on to your allegiance for me like you did then? Peter, do you still stand in that place of even though everybody else will fall away, Lord, I won't. I never will, Lord. Peter, do you still hold to that? Jesus isn't asking Peter, for his peace of mind, Peter, do you love me? Peter, Jesus is asking for the sake of those that are around the fire. Although this is a directive conversation between Jesus and Peter, the scripture does not say that the other disciples got up and left. Jesus is inquiring Peter and he's saying to him, Simon, do you love me? Because why? There was a second betrayal. Luke 22 verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend to my sheep. I don't know him. Man, I do not. Each time Jesus was asking, I am sure the PTSD was kicking into Peter's mind. Oh no. Oh no. I said, I do not know him. I, 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 I know I said it. And the other disciples listening in. Yeah, Peter. Because I heard. I heard about when you were in the courtyard. I heard when you said you didn't know him. I heard, Peter. Peter, what have you learned in this moment in front of the fire? You've been brought to the fire for such a time as now. Peter, you've been in the molding stage. You've walked with me these three years. You've seen what it's been like when we have gone to places that they didn't accept us. And I said to you, it's okay. When you go into a place where they don't accept you, just brush the dust off your feet. Peter, you've seen how they've treated me. Peter, you saw the type of death that I died. Peter, what? Have you learned from this moment now? What have you learned from the fiery challenges that you have faced? From the adversary that came into your life and brought all kinds of trouble. From the afflictions that you have faced. From the sickness that you have faced. From 
every issue that you can think of that you have faced, what have you learned from that fire? Have you just come away with a nervous twitch? Have you just come away with a trigger that every time a certain noise happens, you, re you respond, you freeze, you hold back, you can't move forward, you can't do anything, you're arrested there because fear has immobilized you because the last time you were in a situation like this, this is how it panned out. What have you learned from your fire? Jesus asked the question twice. He was talking from that agape position. He was referring to that all-giving love, that unselfish kind of love. Peter, do you love me in an unselfish kind of way? Peter, do you love me in a way that is all-giving? Peter, do you love me in that sense that it's a reciprocated love. And what does Peter say? Yes, I'm your friend. Yes, I love you. He answers in a philo. Yes. Lord, you know I love you. There's a difference between that agape love and that philo love. And this is the course of the conversation. Jesus is coming from that one who sacrificed, who gave of himself. No better love than this has one that he would lay down his life for his friend. That was Jesus. That was the agape love that he demonstrated. But Peter, Peter. Yes, I love you like a friend. I'm your friend. Jesus is asking in the agape form. Peter's responding in the philo form. He's simply saying that his heart is open to Christ. His heart is open. He loves him with the best love that he could as a, simple, as a, sin, a sinful person. As, as much as I'm capable as a sinful person, um, that, that's how I love you, Lord. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. After Jesus asked Peter, Jesus twice gave Peter an instruction regarding to how he should act towards God's people. And in other words, Peter was being recommissioned. Peter was being refired. You see, there was a point Peter had stepped back from his calling. Jesus said to him, your name will no longer be Simon, but it will be Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus had to bring him back to that place of being recommissioned of being reassigned, refired for the work that he was calling him to do. Why? Because he was going to be that under-shepherd to the people. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Give them the word that I gave you while I was with you. Tend to my sheep. And in other words, go after them. When a, when a sheep leads the fold, what happens? The shepherd goes looking for that sheep. When a sheep is wounded, what happens? The shepherd takes that sheep and he carries that sheep around its neck so that what? That sheep allows itself to become healed. Why? So that while he is being carried by the shepherd, he is so close to the shepherd that he comes to know the shepherd in an intimate way. Tend to my sheep. And in other words, when the sheep are sick, Peter, I need you to go out after them. She Peter, when the sheep have the enemy of the flies flocking around them and the disease that is around them as sheep as they, as they eat on the grass and the bugs that could be there... Peter, I need you to go and anoint them. Peter, tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, this is the call that I'm calling you to do. When you denied me, you were forsaking that call. But Peter, I'm realigning you. Don't look at the ashes but look at the fire and what I'm molding you to be. Verse 17, 
Jesus asked Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The two previous questions that Jesus asked Peter were in the presence of the other disciples. So now they were witnessing Peter being asked. And I'm sure within their mind, they were paralleling the ask with the betrayal. The ask with the betrayal. Again, another time, Luke 22, verses 59 to 62. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter had denied the Lord three times and now Christ is giving him an opportunity in some measure to repair the fault by confessing, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Could you imagine that moment, the third time that Peter denied the Christ and the Lord looked at him? That's what the verse says. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And the first eyes that meet your eyes are the eyes of Christ. And as his eyes are fixed upon you, all of a sudden your mind recalls before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And now they're at a fire again. And he's saying, do you love me? I want to know if in the fire of your trials, if in the challenges that you face from day to day, when the enemy comes knocking at the door, when the opportunity is before you to walk as that Christian, as that child of God, knowing that the Father has his best interest for you, knowing that he will work it all out for your good. It may not look good right now, but he's going to work it out. Knowing that he is forming you in this fire until you are showing the reflection of his face, the reflection of who he is in you. Are you able in that fire of affliction, in that trial, when everybody is bombarding you with false accusations, when everything is coming against you, when you feel as though you can't get your head above the water enough to catch a breath, will you be able to say, yes, Lord, I love you with an everlasting love like you love me. Yes, Lord, I will press through this with you. Yes, Lord, I will go through this fire knowing that you're never going to leave me. What does the fire at the shoreline represent to you? You see, you'll come out more precious than gold when you recognize the man who prepared the fire also prepared the fish and the bread. After they had spent all night toiling, all night fishing, not a speck of a fish, not a speck of a fish, they didn't even recognize his voice when he called to them from the shoreline. Children, have you caught anything? Yet the fish recognized the voice of their creator. And the fish all gathered there in that body of water. That when Jesus said, cast your net on the other side, the fish knew where to go. Because they recognized the voice of their maker. Oh, but these disciples didn't recognize because they were caught 
and being tired. Tired because they had worked all night. They had given their all. They were done. They just wanted a break. Pack it in. Let's go, guys. We'll give it another shot tomorrow. But Jesus, after you've gone through all the work, after all that you're, the effort that you have put, he's waiting there in the fire with something to nourish you. He's waiting there to be sure that you will come out as pure gold. He will ask you the questions that will cause you to think introspectively. Yeah. Lord, I do love you. I do love you. Do you love me? The third time Jesus slightly changed his question and Peter asked if he did in fact have a brotherly love, a friendly devotion to Jesus. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter did believe that he loved Jesus. He did believe it. Yet he relied on the knowledge of Jesus who knew all things. Peter was relying in that moment, Lord, you know me better than myself, than I know myself. How many times we declare with our lips, Lord, I love you, but our mind and our heart is not even engaged in those words. How many times we've said, Lord, I love you. We sung the song, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice, but neither our voice or our love is engaged in that moment. Peter, do you love me? Do you love the Lord tonight? Do you notice in all of this transaction at the shoreline, in all of this discourse at the fire, not once did Jesus look at Peter and say, are you sorry for betraying me? Aren't you ashamed of yourself for being with me for three years? Seeing that I truly am the son of God? Seeing that I went to the cross for you? Seeing that I'm alive today and here are the marks to prove that I did die on the cross and that I am the son of God and that I did conquer death and I am standing before you? Peter, aren't you sorry and ashamed of yourself? Jesus never said that. Jesus never said that. But he came to finish what he started in Peter because he had a work for Peter to do. He has a work for you to do. God has something for you to do for his kingdom and it doesn't stop at the trial. The trial is meant to help transform you. The fire is meant to refine you. Peter went through the fire. The other disciples, as I said, were fully aware of Peter's denial. It wasn't just something done in, pri in public or private. He publicly denied the Christ. I've said this throughout the series. The fire that you're in is not a private fire. Others are seeing your life. And how you're living through this fire is testifying of your Christ. It's testifying, it's giving testimony of those that are around the fire while the Lord is saying to you, do you love me? Do you trust me enough that I'll bring you through this fire? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, just as Peter publicly denied Jesus, Jesus publicly restores Peter. He publicly restores him. He restores Peter's call. He restores his commission upon Peter's life. And Peter is refired as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says to him in verses 18 and 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk 
wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Peter, remember when you were younger? You had less responsibility. Peter, remember when you were younger, you didn't have to worry about some things. Someone else took care of it. But now, now that you're older, Peter, your call and your responsibility is greater. When you were with me, some things you didn't have to worry about. But Peter, now your calling has more responsibility. And when you're old, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands. Jesus spoke into Peter's future. You see, the scripture doesn't let us know exactly when Peter died, but history tells us that Peter died upside down because he would not die in the same fashion that Christ did on a cross. But he did, he did die upside down on a cross. And I could imagine when, the, when, let's say, the government officials went to get him, and they put him in cuffs and hauled him away to put him on a cross. I can imagine Peter in that moment saying, Jesus, Jesus, I love you to death. Jesus, I love you to death. I will die for you just as you died for me. Jesus, now I agape you. I love you to death, Lord. Now I understand all that you were asking me. And Lord, I love you to death. I won't die exactly as you died, but I will die for you because I love you. Matthew 4, 18 to 19, Peter, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, or Jesus, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Peter chose to follow Jesus, and he took that day at the beach. He took that time in the fire with Jesus in front of his fellow friends seriously because he said this in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 15. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and aren't and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, Peter can talk like this because this was what he walked. Peter was once so nearsighted that he didn't recognize the Christ at the shoreline. Peter was once the one that forgot that he was cleansed from his sins. Therefore, he says, brothers, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder, since I know that the putting of my body will be soon 
Putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter went through the fire. Peter was at the fire with the Lord, reminding him of the three times he stepped away from his calling, reminding him of the times he forsook the one who he claimed to love more than anyone else, and now recommissioned at that fire, now transformed not as the one who betrayed the Christ, but as the one who would serve the Christ and would go on reminding others, stir up these qualities within you so that that you won't fall. Re- bring to remembrance the, that you have been cleansed from your sins. Peter could preach this sermon over and over again because he knew that his time would come where he too would die, but he would make sure that he would die a faithful servant of the Lord. What's your fire look like? No matter what has you in the refiner's fire, there's two sides to the fire. The side of testing and the side of redeeming. One reveals the us before the refining. And the other side reveals us after the transforming work of Christ. The one side reveals the mirror of our old self. The other side reveals the reflection of Christ's work within us. What side of the fire are you on? It was necessary for Peter to experience the other side of the fire. Prepared by the refiner himself. Because it revealed a man redeemed. A man transformed. Bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Commissioned to go forth and preach the gospel to all men. To all men. And you and I have that same commission today. We have that same commission today to look into the mirror and see what is looking back at us. Is it the reflection of Christ who has refined us and transformed us? Or is it the reflection of the former self? Again, I close with the verse that I opened. 1 Peter 1, 6-9, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. You will come through more precious than gold. That's the promise. That's the promise. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the reminder of Peter's life before that fire. We thank you that, Lord, in the post-traumatic stress episodes of our life, in the moments, God, where the enemy will bring triggers and try to bring up the former representations of ourselves, Lord God, we can look to you and we can know that you will bring us through the fire. That, Lord, when we come through the fire, we will no longer be the same, but we will be transformed. We will bear the resemblance of the one who was in the fire with us, shaping us, molding us into the very image of who you are. God, may we look at our trials and know that you will be glorified in our lives if we remain faithful to you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for the example of Peter. And thank you, Lord, that when you addressed him, You didn't shame him, but you recommissioned him. And you recommissioned each and every one of us here tonight, watching online and those of us that are in house. 
In Jesus' mighty name, we give you the praise and glory. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us tonight online. And, and um, we welcome you for Sunday morning service as Pastor Julio comes and brings forth the, the word of God. In the absence of our pastor who is at home recovering from surgery, uh, please keep him in your prayers. It's a painful uh, surgery and recovery at this time, these early days. But through God's saints praying for him, he will come through. And he will be back in house very soon to bring the word of God. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you Sunday morning right here. Bye for now.